Welcome to Inside Scope, the American Gastroenterological Association podcast that will help you advance your patient care one half hour segment at a time. Join us to hear from the experts, learn new skills, and stay abreast of changing best practices. We'll be tackling a different topic each month, so make sure to subscribe and join us on our mission to improve digestive health for all. Welcome, everyone, to this season of AGS Inside Scope podcast, Colorectal Cancer Screening to Save Lives. In this season, we'll talk to gastroenterologists and primary care physicians to break down the recent updates from U.S. Preventive Services Task Force on screening for colorectal cancer in high-risk groups and addressing unique challenges for various groups. Our goal is to help clinicians understand how they can help to reduce incidence and mortality for colorectal cancer. I am Chuck Darbeni, Professor of Family Medicine, Chief Health Equity Officer for the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. I'm also Associate Director for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion for the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center. And I am David Lieberman. I'm a Professor of Medicine in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. David and I are your hosts for this five-episode season. This season is supported by an independent medical education grant for exact sciences. Now, David, it's great to connect again. Can you talk about why individuals who are at average risk for colorectal cancer and are asymptomatic should have screening? Great. Well, thanks, Jake. And first, it's great to be with you and discuss this very important topic. And I hope you'll pipe in on this topic because you were one of the authors of the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force guidelines. So I think we should be able to have a pretty good discussion about this. Your first question is probably one of the most important. Why should an average risk asymptomatic person have colon cancer screening when they're feeling perfectly fine and have no GI issues or problems? And the answer is that colon cancer remains the second leading cause of cancer death in the United States, North America, and Western Europe. And by that, I mean that about one in 20 of us will develop colon cancer in our lifetime. And we have terrific evidence from randomized controlled trials that if we screen patients when they are totally asymptomatic, that we can detect cancers or precancerous lesions at an early stage compared to individuals who are not screened and wait to develop symptoms. So I think the message to patients is that if we wait for symptoms to develop, like lower GI bleeding or abdominal pain and obstruction, that we've waited too long and we have an opportunity with colon cancer to intervene at an early stage. What do you think, Jake? What I'm excited about colorectal cancer is that we know how to prevent it for the most part. We know how to detect it early, and we know the screening tests work. And it's really important, as you stated, that if we wait for symptoms to occur, then it's, for the most part, it's a little too late. And so that's why screening is really important to save lives in that way. So with the one question I would follow up from your discussion there is, you know, there are many tests that seem to be available for colon cancer screening. And I'm wondering if you can help her listeners understand those by walking us through those strategies that are available for colorectal cancer screening. 
And maybe talk about some of the advantages and disadvantages of uh, the tests. There are several very effective colon cancer screening programs. One way to break it down would be to discuss what we call non-invasive screening versus invasive screening. So non-invasive screening are the use of tests to identify an individual who is at high risk and should get a colonoscopy. So it's really a two-test program. And the example in the United States that's used commonly is the fecal immunochemical test or the FIT test, which has been shown to be very effective in reducing colon cancer mortality and incidence. This test is recommended annually, and therein lies one of the problems with the test, that it's a test that, to be very effective, needs to be repeated annually. And the reason for that is that it's not 100% sensitive for detecting cancer. So we know that individuals that have cancer, there's about a 75 to 80% positivity rate for a single FIT test. And that means that 20 to 25% of patients with cancer will not be detected with one-time screening. And that's the rationale for repeating the test at an annual interval. The second issue with this test is that if the test is positive, the patient has a two to four-fold higher risk of having either cancer or advanced polyps in the colon and should get a colonoscopy. However, Based on studies that have been done, only about 60 to 80% of patients who have a positive test actually get the colonoscopy. So these are issues with the quality of the FIT program. FIT programs can work extremely well in organized systems, and we can talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes. But it does require a two-step process, completing the test and then following up with the positive result with a colonoscopy. The other non-invasive tests that are available include a variant of another stool test, which is a stool DNA fit test, or the commercial product is called Coagard. And this is a test where the stool is collected and analyzed for some specific mutations that are associated with colon cancer and also includes a fit test. And once again, if this test is positive, then it should be followed with colonoscopy. The third potential non-invasive test is uh, CT colonography. Now, this is a completely different kind of test because it's using radiographic imaging to produce images of the colon. It requires a very good bowel prep to get a high-quality exam. And once again, if this test reveals polyps or cancer, then it needs to be followed up with a colonoscopy. On the invasive side of this coin, we have really two tests that are available and recommended by the Preventive Services Task Force. One is flexible sigmoidoscopy, which examines the lower third of the colon. And then if polyps are detected in that part of the colon, patients should go on and have colonoscopy. And then colonoscopy itself is recommended as a potential screening test. And one of the advantages of colonoscopy is that we get direct visualization of the entire colon, that we can detect and remove precancerous lesions or detect early stage cancers. 
that's clearly one of the advantages of this test. The other advantage is that the degree of protection or the length of protection appears to be more than 10 years for patients that have a negative test who are average risk. The disadvantage of colonoscopy is that this is an invasive procedure. It requires a good bowel prep. It has risk associated with the use of conscious sedation or deeper sedation. And then there are risks inherent in the procedure, such as perforation and bleeding, which rarely occur, but can be very serious. So each of these tests can be effective. And one other point I want to make about this is that there are studies that have shown that when individuals are offered more than one test, as a screening option, the overall uptake in screening is improved versus having only one test being offered. Thank you so much, David. That is a very good description of the pros and cons of each of the tests that are currently being recommended by the U.S. Preventive Services Tax Force. I would add that the tax force does not recommend one test over another. And one of the important considerations is that the best test is the one that a patient is willing to do and do very well. But also brings us back to continue that conversation is why not do colonoscopy on everyone? You know, so there, if I can kind of take a step back for a minute, if you do a test and have to do a second test, you're in some ways creating barriers for patients to be able to complete those two steps. And here's colonoscopy, as you said, which you can do once every 10 years if it's negative. And if you find something, you can do all of that at the same time. And that clearly, as a primary care clinician, is very attractive to me. I don't have to do that work every year to get patient screen. So why not uh, just get everybody a colonoscopy? That is a terrific question. One answer to that is that not everybody will accept colonoscopy. So it's because it's an invasive test, because it does require a bowel prep. But I think the other factor that's very important is that this is a test that does have some risk associated with it. And so we're taking somebody who is average risk, he or she is asymptomatic, and we're exposing that patient to some risk. Although it's small, there is definitely some risk associated with it. The other aspect of this is that most of the patients that undergo colonoscopy will not have serious pathology found. So that roughly in a screening population, about 5 to 10% of patients will have an advanced polyp, which means a large polyp greater than one centimeter or a polyp with more serious histologic features. And there will be a very small number of patients that have cancer, less than 1%, that are detected, which means that many patients who undergo colonoscopy will not have serious findings. If we could do a non-invasive test that identifies the patients that will benefit the most from colonoscopy, then that offers a potential advantage and reduces the burden of colonoscopy for these individuals. So I think colonoscopy is certainly a, a reasonable screening option, but it probably should not be the only option that's offered to patients. That's an important point, but also that colonoscopy may not be available for everyone and the capacity may be limited. And given those limitations, doing a non-invasive test allows for a greater reach of colon cancer screening for a larger group of people. And obviously, 
those who are positive should, uh, to your point, uh, have diagnostic testing or follow-up colonoscopy to ensure that any polyps or early cancers there could be detected. And otherwise, the studies have shown that if you don't do so, the risk is quite high for those who have actually had a positive FIT. Let me add one other point about that, Chuck, because I, I think yeah. that's, that's a, a really important point to emphasize. And we've made some progress over the last couple of years in convincing the government that a two-step program using FIT does require a colonoscopy for a positive test. And this is an important piece of new information that last year when the Affordable Care Act was passed, the intent was that screenings like colon cancer screening would be offered at no cost to the patients. However, there were a couple of important loopholes here. And one of those loopholes involved patients who had a non-invasive test like FIT. If it was positive, patients should go on to have colonoscopy, but it was called not a screening colonoscopy, but a diagnostic colonoscopy. And patients were expected to provide a copay or some cost sharing. Recently, we've had meetings with the Department of Treasury and Labor, who govern the commercial insurance world, and they have now required that commercial insurance cover the colonoscopy after a positive fit as a screening exam. And most recently, we had meetings with CMS, which is Medicare, and they have also agreed that patients who have a positive fit should go on to have a colonoscopy as part of the continuum of screening. This cost sharing, as you know, was an important barrier for many patients. And so it's been wonderful to see that some of these barriers have been overcome. And we're going to hear, likely hear a lot about, more about these topics, about cost sharing, about the Medicare decision around coverage, which is really important in my view. And thanks, David, for bringing up that point about that, because these kinds of cost-sharing issues disproportionately affect people who are marginalized and socioeconomically disadvantaged. So thank you for bringing up that point. I do have one follow-up question for you, because oftentimes it's not always clear to people when screening is done what it actually does for them, for the individual person. So I know you've done a lot of work in this area. You've been a leader in this field. Is there any evidence in real-life practice that colorectal cancer screening actually works, that it reduces incidence and mortality from colorectal cancer? Well, that's a great question. And I, I think we now have evidence that it really does work. So the best evidence is from a study that you were involved in, in the Kaiser organization, in which they initiated a colon screening program to every member of their organization beginning at age 50 by mailing them a FIT kit every year. And that started around 2004 to 2005. And within a 10-year period, they were able to demonstrate a significant reduction in both the incidence of colon cancer and mortality of colon cancer. So I think that's a, a wonderful real-life example of where screening has made a difference. There are many factors that probably contribute to the reduction in colon cancer incidence and mortality that we are enjoying now here in the United States, aside from screening. So for example, the reduction in tobacco use over the last few decades has probably contributed 
to some of the reduction in colon cancer incidence and mortality. The use of aspirin for cardiovascular health has probably incidentally contributed over the last three decades or four decades to some reduction in colon cancer incidence because aspirin has chemopreventive effects on the colon. Likewise, the introduction of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs over-the-counter in the early 1980s for aches and pains also has some chemopreventive effects. And then for a period of time, there was widespread use of hormone replacement therapy in women, and hormone replacement therapy is also chemopreventive for colon cancer. So it's a nuanced picture, but I think that there is evidence now, especially from the Kaiser study that I mentioned, that screening actually makes a significant difference in terms of reducing colon cancer incidence and mortality. Well, thank you very much. And it's also very helpful to bring up that information about the other factors besides screening that may have contributed to the incidence reduction and mortality reduction for colorectal cancer. You know, the tax force also renewed, refreshed the recommendation on aspirin, and that's become more complicated than it was before. And so I would encourage our listeners to look at the new recommendation statement in terms of how it might have a role. Yeah, at this point, we're not recommending that you put your patients on aspirin to prevent colon cancer. David, anything else you want to share with our listeners before we close? Only that I think that, as you mentioned, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force is agnostic in terms of recommending a specific screening test. But I think that the take-home message here should be that any of the screening programs can work if they're performed with high quality, and that applies to each of the programs. And quality for a non-invasive test really involves knowing that the test was completed and knowing that the results of the test was actionable. In other words, that if it was positive, the patient went on to get a colonoscopy, and if it was negative, the patient would have a repeat testing at the recommended interval. And for colonoscopy, we also have quality metrics now to assess the quality of colonoscopy. And these include things like complete exams, good bowel preps, and what's called the adenoma detection rate, which has been strongly linked to the risk of developing cancer after somebody has had a colonoscopy. So I think we're making great progress in reducing the burden of colon cancer and improving the quality of our screening programs. Well, thank you very much, David. Uh, again, underscoring the importance of colonoscopy in any screening program, either as a primary screening test or for follow-up after a non-colonoscopy test. And it's important, as our listeners, I'm sure, know that without that element of the screening program, it will not be effective. So colonoscopy is important in any form that is, is included in the program, either as a follow-up test or as a primary screening test. Again, thank you so much for this important conversation. I think it's very useful for our listeners to hear you're an expert in this area. And thank you to all of you for joining us for this episode on what you need to know now about the updated U.S. Preventive Services Tax Force recommendations for colorectal cancer screening. You can find all of our five episodes in this season, as well as editorials, reference guides, and GI pop quizzes, education activities on the AGA's website, gastro.org. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Inside Scope. 
an official AGA podcast. Make sure to subscribe to be notified as we roll out new episodes. For more GI education, visit AGA University at agau.gastro.org.